Hey, yo, what's good, what's good, what's good? Welcome to Reflections of a DJ, the road podcast presented by DJ City and BeatSource. I am one of your hosts, DJ Crooked. We have DJ Never here. Yo, what up? We got DJ D Miles. What's good, y'all? What's good? Good to see you, man. Good to have you back. And we got Jamie the Great. Yeah, what up? And we got a special guest from LA. I've been wanting this DJ on for a long time. He's a legend in the city. He's got the notorious uh, Snapback Live Party out there. He's a world-famous beat junkie. I'm really excited to have him on. We got DJ Icy Ice. What up, man? What's good, brother? What up, what up, brother? What's good? What How up, you doing, what man? Up? It's uh, cracking, man. Thanks for having me. Nah, thanks for thanks for coming through. I, I see you on... Uh, I've, I've been hearing about your Snapback Live parties, and I see you uh, transitioning over to Twitch, live streaming a lot. I see you on there all the time. You sound great. You're really active. You're very busy. You're on the hustle. I've been wanting you on this podcast because we've had so many LA DJs on. And we've spoken about the L.A. culture and just DJs coming up in L.A. And your name has always been coming up because I always ask, what were the hip hop parties in the 90s? Do you know, because we speak to so many L.A. DJs and a lot of them had to do raves, like even though they were hip hop DJs and they, they, they were turntablists. A lot of them were like, well, we, there weren't any hip hop parties. So we ended up DJing a lot of raves and like. They all came up under this rave culture and then they learned the style of DJing a lot from the radio. You know, like the radio was the basis for a lot of the style of the West Coast or L.A. in particular. But I, I was always curious. I'm like, there were no hip hop parties like there was nothing. And I think a handful of DJs mentioned you. Obviously, um, we had Mellow D, fellow beat junkie. We had Vice. And I think yeah. probably uh, E-Man mentioned you. I know I know you're tight with E-Man. But yeah. there's still this mystery about the L.A. 90s hip-hop club scene that I don't really know about as a New Yorker, never as I as New Yorkers. Like, if you ask us about the New York club scene with hip-hop, we have a clear understanding of what was happening, you know, with the Palladium and all the tunnel, every, the tunnel <laughs> and everything, you know? But yeah. I think it's it's it was weird for me, like, speaking with L.A. DJs and very, very uh, respectable and, and successful L.A. DJs and just being like, we didn't really, yeah, there was no hip hop parties out there. Let me, let me, uh, let me take it back to like what I remember from way back. I'll even take it before I was even a DJ. So uh, I was like sixth grade, seventh grade. I was just starting to collect vinyl. You mm -hmm. know, I would walk to the record store, save up what little, little money I had and uh, buy records. That was my thing before I even became a DJ. I was into popping, I was into breaking, I was into all of that stuff. I was into hip hop culture, period. But yeah, DJing, um, even before I got into it, there was a big hip hop scene and it was run by this, this, uh, this group called Uncle Jam's Army. Uncle Jam's now, Army. Uncle Jam's Army, they, they, uh, Roger Clayton was the one that, that put that whole thing together. I learned all this history later on. Uh, but, you know, I would hear about Uncle Jam's Army, even as an elementary school kid, I would still hear about Uncle Jam's Army and the parties that they had. Now, this was like in the um, um, mid 80s, right? This is the mid 80s. I remember hearing about that, like LL Cool J and Run DMC used to um, perform out there on the West Coast. You remember those old poster boards where they would just have like the big names. So you'd, you'd have like, you know, LL Cool J, Run DMC, mm -hmm. Curtis Blow, mm -hmm. all of yeah. those, all of those East Coast performers would come. And they would perform at Uncle Jam Army's events. Wow. And so they were the basis of hip hop way back then. All your Egyptian lovers, all your K-Day Mixmasters, you know, all the Rodney O. Joe Coolies and, you know, just 
everybody, NWA, all the basis for what they did was all through Uncle Jam's army. Mm-hmm. Their parties were like king. So yeah, they had everything from the hall parties all the way up to like stadium parties. And then even they, they their biggest parties were at the, at the well, I would say it's the equivalent of the forum, which was the, the LA sports arena where the sports Clippers arena. play. Uh-huh. They would, they would rent that whole thing out. In fact, NWA filmed all of their all of their scenes for the movie. Well, not NWA, but Dr. Dre and Ice Cube, and you know the, the NWA story was all filmed at the Coliseum, the the sports arena, the sports mm-hmm. arena. Wow. And so, yeah, their biggest parties were always taking place over there. So they they were the basis of hip hop way back, even before I got into DJ. And, and then, what were they playing? They were playing a lot of break beats. They were, t- you know, what I'm saying a lot of. What was what was the basis of the uh, what was the L.A. sound at that time? You know what I'm saying? So the L.A. sound was, yes, a lot of hip hop, you mm-hmm. know, so a lot of the East Coast stuff. But then you had like the King T's, the Toddy mm-hmm. T's, right. uh, you know, Mixmaster Spade, those type of MCs laying the groundwork. Ice T, of course, they were all laying the, the, the groundwork for hip hop mm-hmm. here on the West Coast. But yeah, man, a lot of East Coast artists would come and perform here on the West Coast and Uncle Jam's Army was the one that put it down for for the West Coast. And this is when Ice T was doing like party jams, right? He was making party records right before the gangster. Yeah, shit. okay. So then yeah, like hip hop on the East Coast was way more, you know, like nineties and hundred beats per minute. Yeah, yeah. West Coast was heavily influenced on the funk. Right. The up tempo, the party sound. So very funk and and then even very electro mm-hmm. um, yeah. influenced. And then so very so, yeah, like the uh, like the world world class wrecking crew, right? Yeah, world class wrecking crew. They were like that type of music. That yeah. type of music. Egyptian you know, lover. Yeah. Egyptian lover. Yeah. Reckless. You know, like um, yeah, like uh, like the, the play Planet of Rock, Nucleus Jam on it, like right? Joints like that. That that whole electro sound was huge. And then you had like European artists like Kraftwerk. That was huge over right, here. Right, right. You know, like Numbers, yeah. Tony France, and then you know, like you had Cybertron, like Clear R Nine. All that that whole electro sound was big. And that's why it was in jams like, uh, you know, N.W.A.'s first songs were, you know, you had Dope Man mm-hmm. and then you had like um, and then you had Panic Zone. Mm-hmm. Panic Zone was very uptempo and that was all heavily driven by Arabian Prince. So how did it evolve into the 90s? You know what I'm saying? Like moving towards the 90s. Cause when OK, I- so. Yeah. So the 80s, that, that was what was going on. OK. And then as you move into the 90s, that's when. I started becoming a DJ and then you had like a lot of the beat junkie crew. We weren't even the beat junkies yet in the early nineties. We, we finally all came together in 92, mm-hmm. but yeah, like uh, in that early nineties. Yeah, man. Um, as we were all coming up, that whole native tongue sound was like huge with us. And then you had like, um, man, you had just the, the LA underground scene was just bubbling. Was it like you the know, hieroglyphics and stuff like that? Was it? Was it? Hi- yeah, hiero up north. Yeah, and then down down here down here in the west, you had like uh, you had the licks. You know, the whole liquid crew. Right. You had like um, you know, dilated all of those guys. Um, the visionaries were just coming together. So like, yeah, like the underground scene was just uh, bubbling. But it's um, funny because. In, you know, in the 90s, being from New York, the only thing we, the only reference we had to hip hop in LA was literally gang culture, was Boys in the Hood, Menace to Society. All the music was pretty much gang, was like, you know, gang related. You know what I'm saying? So, like, th- when I think of that 
and when I talk to these DJs, I'm wondering like maybe there weren't any like real hip hop parties or real um, any clubs that played hip hop that were big during that era because of they didn't want to fuck with gangs or like gangs were fucking shit up all the time. So yeah, I mean the gang culture was huge at that time, especially in the the early '90s and and throughout the '90s, pretty much. Right. And that was what was the most publicized, and that's what people knew of, you know, like you know throughout the the, the U.S. and around the world. But man, West Coast, we were we were way more than just the gang culture. Right. Yes, the gang culture was heavy and deep, but yeah, there was there was skills, there was lyricism, there was mm-hmm. turntableism, there there was just hip hop culture as a whole, um, in addition to just the gang culture. I I, 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 want, I want to touch on this party that everyone speaks on. Vice speaks on it. Um, Melody spoke on it. It was at club. Was it Club Unity? Unity picked up from where Uncle Jam's Army left off. Got it. But now Uncle Jam's Army was massive in terms of doing the sports arena. Unity was underground. It was grimy. It, it was it was a small sweat box. Um, it was at the El Hacienda in downtown Los Angeles. This little Mexican restaurant. I mean, still, still a pretty big spot. It still held like 500 people, mm-hmm. but jam packed. Everyone jam packs a sweat box, hot. I mean, it was so hot that it's it's like you could see the sweat on the on the walls. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but man, all the legendary groups that that broke out performed there, just like all the East Coast artists that performed at Uncle Jam's Army. All of the all the 90s groups that broke out performed at Unity. And so, again, it wasn't the gang culture groups. Right. Although Exhibit kind of went through both, but Exhibit was, al- you know, he was an alcoholic. Bef- you know, like he was with the Licks before yeah. he went with Dr. Dre's camp and all of that. Yeah. And, you know, guys like Razkaz, guys like, um, man, just just a lot of dope DJs and, uh, and, and a lot of dope groups. Everyone performed at the at the unity spot. And how you were involved? You were the DJ there. Was that your party, pretty much? I was always, I was like a guest, you know, as as a beat junkie. Like we, you know, like pretty much Retmatic, J Rock, Babu. They were the most used guests out of uh, the the crew for Unity. Yeah, yeah. And then a lot of us junkies pretty much rotated. Mark Love was the resident for for Unity, and then the junkies were like kind of like a rotating co-resident. Mm-hmm. But it was just a lot of us. But yeah. Mainly J Rock, mainly uh, Rhett were like the, the the most used. I have a question. Why don't you hear more about this club Unity? Like this is the first time I'm hearing about this, and this sounds like a a legendary spot. This was the legendary spot. This was the spot where all the b boys came together. This was all the the graph writers were 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 yeah. all you know congregating. All the DJs would come, mm-hmm. uh, and then like yeah, I mean like on the West Coast, Biggie's one of his first performances was at Unity. Oh wow. Um, Eminem, his first performances were at. at it Union. sounds like a West Coast version of the Tunnel, actually. Yeah, yeah. The Tunnel, and I've been to the Tunnel, but the Tunnel was like a real club. Unity was just in the basement mm-hmm. of a restaurant, mm. pretty much the hall of a, a restaurant con- wow. converted into a nightclub. That's Shit, the. Man. Those are the best rooms, though, right? Those. Yeah, those, those are the best <laughs> rooms. They're swearing the wall. They're swearing the wall. It's popping. <laughs> those the, the, the there's nothing like an underground club or an underground room for a hip hop room. It's just the best. The like the low yeah. ceilings. There's something yeah. 
amazing mm-hmm. about those rooms for hip hop. The lighting is whack. It's not like lasers. Yeah. It's one mushroom light on the corner just spinning. <laughs> just, not, yeah. No no high production value in terms no. of sound or lighting or any of that. But AC's fucked up. <laughs> AC, there's AC three fans up. and only two are working. AC <laughs> couldn't handle the amount of people in yeah. that room, man. <laughs> but yeah, man, it's it's one of those just grimy, dingy, just dirty, raw, but it was dope. How, wait, mm-hmm. so how long did that party last? Like how how long did that run? Man, a good, you know, Bigga B was the one that organized that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um and then Bigga B also worked for Loud Records, so he had the he had the Oh, wow. So he, he had, had the luxury of of being on the record side mm-hmm. and then on the promotion side. And so any any of the loud groups yeah. that, that were breaking on loud, he he, so he was, them, he was killing them. it. So he had like Mob D, Wu Tang, yeah, like shit. Wu-Tang? Yeah. yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Wow. So he Wu Tang and Mob Deep and all them motherfuckers performed Everybody. over there? Wow. Everybody. Yeah. Yo, how come no one talks about that shit at yeah, all? Yeah, I want to know that. <laughs> Growing up, I never heard about it. Was it really LA. that underground where like only like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it wasn't underground to where the public didn't know about it, right. but it wasn't a mainstream club. It wasn't, you know, something that was pumped on the radio or anything like that. Mm. It was just your spot, you know, passed out flyers or word of mouth, man. That was it. And what day was this? It was usually on a Sunday of course, uh, there were times where they would hold it on a weekday, but yeah, it wasn't like prime time Friday night, prime time Saturday night. It wasn't a known club like the Tunnel. Mm-hmm. It wasn't anything like that, man. It was just that spot, though. Okay, Got so it. you would think that something like Club Unity would what did it what did it evolve into? Well, it it didn't evolve into anything because Big B passed away oh. in the late nineties. Got it. He he passed away, and then and then there there went unity with him. You know, oh, wow. Um, wow. The guys that did it with him, they tried to carry on the legacy, mm-hmm. um, but nobody carried it on like Bigger B did. Wow. But yeah. I will say that once once unity faded, there was a guy named Chang out here in Los Angeles, uh, Chang Weisberg, that had this vision of doing like a hip hop festival. Again, just like just like Unity, it started in a small gin- dingy spot and then it grew into the biggest hip hop festival in the the whole US, which was called Rock the Bells. Mm. Got it. Mm. So Rock the Bells started just after Unity faded and then it grew into the 2000s and then the t- the whole 2000s Rock the Bells was kind of running the hip hop scene. Big oh, wow. deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know Big that deal. that Rock the Bells was like kind of like a local kind of party thing and then it evolved into a festival yeah wow. it was a local party just like how unity was but it evolved and it grew and it became you know like it, it got into festival status to where it toured around the whole u.s it, it was it predates any of like these festivals as far as raves and things like that man but but yeah, Rock the Bells was I'm a, I like I, I want to say it was pretty much the first music festival, hip hop music festival mm-hmm. around. And then yeah, like the base of it was always like Cypress, Cypress Hill, Wu Tang, and all of those guys. You know, were, were yeah. you were you involved since from the jump with Rock the Bells? Yeah, so I had a I had a record store back in the '90s called Stax. Right. Stax Von- you had like three, then, you had uh, like three locations on that, right? Pretty much. I did have three locations on wow. that. One in one in Los Angeles, well, Cerritos, and then I had one in Ontario, and then one in San Diego. 
Nice. Damn. Nice. But yeah, with uh with with Rock the Bells, <laughs> that originated, that idea originated when Chang came into my record store. He was talking to Mark Love, who was the main he was the main DJ for Unity, mm-hmm. and he was like, I want to put together a modern day Unity, and he wanted to call it Rock the Bells. And mm. that, that's that's where the idea was kind of brought together. And then me and Mark Love were the the residents for Rock the Bells. For wow. Being a kid and going to Rock the Bells was the coolest shit because it was always like towards the end of the summer right before we go back to school mm-hmm. and it was just like it was in San Bernardino so it was a cool mm-hmm. like 35 to 40 minute drive sometimes but yeah. man it was just like the biggest hangout and it was like all ages like it, it was just like a plain field and then there's this one stage and yeah. then everybody's either smoking weed or drinking whatever but it was just a vibe and then some I mean you guys had everybody but from like Lauren Hill to Nas, to Wu-Tang, yeah. up and comers like Wiz Khalifa before he even got popping. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was, dude, that was a scene. The, those years were the best. Like the early ones, the 2006, 2007, yeah. they were the best years for rock. What were the years as, as when it started popping? Like, I remember the big deal. I I think maybe the first time I heard about Rock the Bells was maybe, was it the, the Tribe Called Quest reunion? Or something like sure. that. That's the first time oh. I've heard about it. Yeah, I, that was the first time. Even I... before, even before the tribe called called Quest reunion, yeah. the first thing that made it pop off was the Wu Tang reunion. Right, and uh, mm-hmm. you can look it up on YouTube. They have those uh, documentaries on on that Rock the Bells reunion. It almost didn't happen because ODB didn't. You know, he just would not get out of that hotel room to come and do it. But <laughs> and this was at a airplane hangar. This used to. This was just at an airplane hangar. What and year was this? I want to say 04, 05 or something wow. like that. Uh-huh. I think that's when it started. It started like yeah. in 04, right? It actually started like uh, earlier. Like in the small I mean, clubs, it was early 2000, like 2002. Oh, okay. yeah. If you had ODB, I know he died like around 04 or 05, something like that. So yeah, yeah. to have him, that must have been like the last performance. It was wow. the very last, yeah. That's crazy. What were the parties like in the beginning? And then how did it just blow up into a fucking festival well the parties in the beginning were very much like unity but it wasn't as grimy and it wasn't because these spots were more in hollywood so they weren't as grimy as the el hacienda spot it wasn't like unity in that respect and like uh it wasn't as packed it wasn't as known you know like they started out small I, i don't know how they figured it out but they figured out whatever funding they got someone to back the whole thing and then they took it into fairground they started out at the fairground over in san bernino what, what jamie was talking about yeah that's the one and then it, and then it made its way into like an amphitheater and and all of those and then touring and all that stuff so who who are some of the early the the early guests that you guys had in the late 90s moving on to the 2000s early 2000s um here let me let me pull out something real he's bringing out the the archive uh festival here, charts man. is it the like f- uh Rock the bells, like in in the the early days, we they they made like trading cards for all the artists. Oh shit! So oh yeah, that's like the little trading cards that they would pass out to to um, people to promote the show. But then it was a it was a trading card. I actually have a full sheet of the whole thing. Oh wow! I don't have it trained. Oh man! And yeah, like there's Mark Love right there. Then you got like guys like Nas, Supernatural, Guru, The RZA, Raekwon, Ghostface, The Visionaries. Um, Living Legends, Hieroglyphics, Oh No, mm. Med, um, uh, Percy P, you know, Sage Francis, Redman, Be Real, Hubert, Muggs, oh, shit. Nonfiction, Cut Chemists, 
Wow. You know, Jurassic, all those guys, man. So you yeah. had all like the real hip hop, the real hip hop. No, it was real hip hop, yeah. bro. It was it was the realest like backpacking shit you have ever seen in your life. Yeah. And that, it was that, just that was it was whole- not just backpackers. It was a bunch of like different type of people and that you see some gang members, you see the the hipsters, you see the white folks just mm-hmm. hanging out. It was crazy. So the funny thing around this time, around this time period, I was working in radio already. So I was at 92.3 the beat and we were we were pretty much battling it out head to head with Power 106 right. <laughs> uh, for, for, for being the king of L.A. as far as hip hop. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, the, in that late 90s, Power went more house. They went more of the party station. That, that was their, their tagline. And then 92.3 The Beat, we were real to the street, 92.3 The Beat. Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, so like at that time, radio was popping. Hip hop was huge. Power and The Beat were doing massive summer jams and powerhouse mm-hmm. concerts that featured everyone from your Jay-Z's to Outkast to Lauryn Hill to whoever, you know? Chang's whole model with Rock the Bells was he wanted to feature all the, the artists and the groups that were not mainstream, that were not radio, that were not getting the love from major labels, that were your kind of like backpack, you know, your backpackers or whatever. But it was just raw, underground, hip-hop, period. And that, that's what uh, Rock the Bells was more about. Interesting. Wow, man. It's, it's such a such a great, like, uh, legacy to be a part of. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. From beginning up. That's great. And then I have a real quick, like, quick question. What was the yeah. difference between that and pay dues? Pretty much the same exact concept as Rock the Bells, but even more underground groups, like the guys you never heard of. <laughs> yeah, that was like Merz in them, right? And That's Blue. Merz. Yeah, so, so Merz was the one that put that together, you know, Merz of the Living Legends crew. He was in charge of those lineups, and he would just get all the guys that were just, you know, like no radio play, no label no nothing, and he was the one breaking a lot of those artists, man. So, yeah, Pay Dues was the same exact model of Rock the Bells, but even more underground. Wow. Yeah. And Cypress Hill also had, like, Chang Chang had these three festivals. So, yeah, it was Rock the Bells as the main one. Pay Dues was the the second big one. And then Cypress Hill had Smoke Out, and that was just more your weed. Smoke Out was crazy. You know, like, all your, your groups that were just... (laughs) <laughs> like Ice Cube, Cypress Hill, like yeah. I forgot who else, but dude, I went to one of those. Yeah, I've never been more high in my life than that shit because it just clouds of smoke in like the me. in the seats just coming back towards you. Exactly. Like you didn't have to wait for dead concert. <laughs> yeah, you didn't have to pay for the weed. You just need to go and buy your ticket. You get high. As I'm talking to you guys, yeah, I'm yeah. even thinking back. Like, okay, so Unity was one of them. And Fat Beats was brand new to L.A., and they used to throw parties. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. The L. Ray. The L. Ray was one of those spots also. It wasn't as massive as, as like, the Coliseum or the, you know, the sports arena, and it wasn't as grimy and dungy as, as the El Hacienda, but the L. Ray was another spot. It was a smaller theater, but, you know, maybe holds, like, four, five, six hundred people maybe, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. where everyone from Cut Chemist to Z Trip to, to the Junkies to just – it was more DJ based, and then uh, you know, like a couple performers. So where does where does the source come in in all of this? Okay, so when all of that was going on, and um, you know, like our junkies crew had just formed. And this is '92. I was part of a crew called Legend. That okay. was all the guys I went to school with in Carson. Uh, my my crew became 
a party crew, a party promotion crew. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we started out doing little hall parties, but then we eventually made our way into the nightclub scene. And then we started doing big clubs. And one of the big clubs, which is still downtown LA, it's, it's, it's called the Variety Arts Center. It's right across the street from the, from the Staples Center today. And um, yeah, we used to throw a, a, a hip hop party called Source, Right, the Source out of there. So wait, you you started that party and that that ran through for how long? Because that that was the party I maybe was everyone was referring to was like one of the. I was that was the weekly and it was mainly Asian crowd. Okay, maybe yeah. that's the one you heard about, Kirk. So it was a mainly Asian crowd, and it was like and it lasted for like over ten years or something, right? It was crazy how long it lasted. Um, well, not that club didn't last ten years itself, but the but party. that's what kickstarted it. That's yeah. what kickstarted it for a lot of us. Um, in in the Filipino and Asian scene. Mm-hmm. So Source was was significant, and it was the very first big Asian club where we brought actual hip hop acts out there. So yeah, like um, our first acts were Farside when they were just getting getting started. Wow. Um, yeah. Some of our first groups also were like Yo Yo or Rodney Ojokuli, Mad Lion. Um, you know, like we had a lot of those groups perform over there. But I think more significant over the groups was we had a lot of up-and-coming DJs performing over there mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of up-and-coming DJs residents over there. So, yeah, Mellow D, Beat Junkies, Rhythmatic, like our whole crew performed and always DJed at the source. And then young up-and-coming DJs like DJ E-Man, um, DJ mm-hmm. Vice, uh, DJ Verman, um, a lot of the DJs that are on radio now, like a lot of those guys made their, their start at the source. How long, mm-hmm. would, how long was the source? How long did that party run? From what years to what years? So the sto- the source started around 91, 92. Mm-hmm. And then it lasted till about 95. But then uh, from 95, we took it from Variety Arts Center and then we upgraded it into doing a place called Glam Slam, which was owned by Prince. Yeah, I heard of that spot. Yeah. So Glam Slam was our next move right after the source. Um, and then so, I mean, from the Variety Arts Center to Glam Slam. And then, so that one lasted a few more years after that. And then our, our last resting spot for like our big clubs was this spot called the arena. And it was like double the size of Glam Slam, double, triple the size of, of um, the Variety Arts Center. This is the original arena, right? The one on uh, Santa Monica, that big ass place. It was more known as a gay club. Yeah. The back one, the circus was the gay club. The front part was the, 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 the regular (laughs) club. In the nineties, it, the, the struggle was real for Asian promoters, man. We, yeah. we got no love, man. You either had to be black, you had to be white or Latino to get all the prime nights, Friday, Saturdays, uh, or, or Thursdays. Mm-hmm. And so we had to get the shitty nights like a, a Sunday night or a Monday or Tuesday, or we, we would even, you know, we virtually eventually made our way into getting a, a, a Thursday night. But yeah, man, we had the whack nights compared to everybody else. It was still busy, though, right? I mean, it was still busy, though. Yeah. Like it was still busy because there was nothing like it at the time. Mm-hmm. There were no Asian hip hop clubs at the time, so the same impact of what Unity was for Los Angeles, the source was that same type of impact for the Asians and Filipino crowd and and our our talent and all our peoples that came out of our scene. Right. And so, like, yeah, the groups that came out out of our scene were like. Yeah, like your vices, your E-mans, um, you had like uh, um, Black IPs. They had their start at doing at our, a lot of our clubs at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. 
all the way up to Far East Movement and and those guys. So shit, even Tupac even came out to source at one Not point and, and was uh he he you know he he was this was 90, 90 91 hadn't really broken yet mm-hmm. and he came he came straight up just by himself and wow. you know like thanking us DJs for playing his record. Oh man, it's <laughs> dope. That's fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. Well wait, what what record you were you playing e- at that you time? Was E-Man it- about that one? You could ask E-Man about oh, that. Yeah? <laughs> wait, what did he have out at that time? Was it trapped or was it Definitely before I get around. Yeah, like Brenda's yeah. Brenda's got a baby trapped, like that kind of era, right? A little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. Why I always wondered this. Why like even in New York, never when we talk about the nightclub scene, right? When a mm-hmm. club when a club is hot and it opens, it's like, you know, white and Jewish, and then it starts going down the tears. Like race wise. Like <laughs> when it starts going when it starts getting whack. It's messed up, yeah. It becomes like a black club, right? The black promoters come in, the, bl- the black, black promoters, car come in, right? and then that's when it's like it's about to be a rap. And then it's like and then it's like Latin, right? Kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? In New York it was like white and then it would be like Jewish and then like Italian, right? When it became yeah. like kind of Guido-ish. Mm-hmm. And then it would be black. And then mm-hmm. it would go Latin. And at the very bottom, when you knew a club was just done and they were done done, <laughs> it was Asian. <laughs> like we were the bottom <laughs> tier. Like when a yeah. club went Asian in New York. They're like, oh, that shit's not gonna last very long. Yeah, that's so about to be over with. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are yeah, what, what, crew. What's, what's crazy with here in LA, though, back yeah. even in that '90s era, man. Like, I think it was more segregated, man. It was because like, right? uh, you had your black nights, you had your your white nights, you had your Latino nights, and then mm-hmm. you had your Asian nights. Us, you know, like us doing our Asian nights, we threw the biggest Asian nights, man. So. You know, like we, but we we had the shittier nights than the prime nights. You yeah. know what I mean? There was nights always for every ethnic group, and um, but I, I do agree though. Like as far as a Hollywood club, kind of went through those tears and stuff. Right. But but yeah, like um, even the hot clubs in L.A. or even in Hollywood, man, like uh, they had their specific nights open to everybody. But I'm just saying, like your predominantly Asian night or your predominantly black night or whatever. Was there any like issue with with like Asian gangs or anything like that, like infiltrating and shit like that? I never really hear oh, much man. about it. Was there? Oh man! So in your Asian clique, man, you had Chinese gangs, mm-hmm. you had Korean gangs, you had Filipino gangs, you had Vietnamese gangs, oh, Cambodian wow. gangs. Yeah, you had all different races, oh, man. man, and they Samoans. Samoans, which didn't, which didn't exactly land in in Asian, in Pacific Islander, yeah. but like yeah, no one fucked with the Samoans, man. Yeah, the Samoans are crazy, bro. <laughs> man, the Samoans are scary. They're scary, oh, man. They're scary as fuck, especially out towards Cerrito. No, I was say, that's more of like a Long Beach thing, right? Like Long the Beach, Samoans those and areas, Cambodian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew up in Carson. Carson is the biggest Samoan population out of out of Samoa and Utah, like. Mm. Utahns and uh, Samoa were like the biggest populations, along with Carson. Right. Every time I t- every time I hear about um, LA Samoans, I think about the Buya tribe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Buya tribe. I-, I would see those guys cruising around Carson as as I'm getting out of school and all of that, man. Because that was the thing, man. They, they, they ran LA, right? Well, they they were they were kind of like bounty hunters for uh, certain people. They were bodyguards for certain yeah. people, and then Damn. when they became an artist. No one messed with them, man. <laughs> no one. To, like, like New Yorkers, when they go to L.A., they had to check in with the Booyah tribe or not check in, but have them do security for them to like look after them. 
Yeah. Out of all the Asian gangs, who are the illest though? Who's the illest? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Because uh, the crazy thing was Asians ran in packs, man. Like mm-hmm. uh, they wouldn't fight if it was one to one, but they they'll definitely fight if it was like twenty to one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> They're more of a rumble type of crowd. They rumble. But, but I would I would say, man, like yeah, the the Chinese gangs were they weren't afraid to shoot. Filipino gangs were not afraid to shoot, but Chinese gangs would not, they, they didn't care. They'll shoot up a club, but, but Filipinos, they'll go and shoot up a house or something like that. You know what I mean? Wow. I More like, early. I like the, I like the differences on how you broke that down. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like the Chinese, they didn't, they didn't give, they didn't care, man. They'll, they'll shoot nuts. up a spot, man. I always thought the Cambodians was the illest because they had a whole fucking town named after them in Long Beach, right? They call that Cambodian town and shit. So Cambodians, again, all all the all the Asian gangs, they they <laughs> they fought in packs, man. So yeah, that shit is so crazy. When, whenever a fight a fight broke out at our spots, right. man, it, it was like twenty to one. You know what mm, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Crazy. So yeah. wait, how did you avoid that during that time? During that era, because everything was like so gang related. Everyone was like clicked up, right? Pretty much. How did you avoid that shit? In our scene, the gangster dudes wanted to get girls. Mm. So they didn't want to mess up the, the, the popping club if they wanted to get with them ladies. But then, then they, they also wanted to show off their might and all of that. So they'll shoot after a club, but they wouldn't shoot in a club or at a club when it's going on. I, I, like, to, I like to tell, you know, like um, when, when people ask about the clubs from back in the day, especially my clubs and the Asian scene, I like to tell everybody, man, that was social media before social media even happened, man, because that's where everybody congregated. That's where everyone got together. You had the gangs, you had the car crews, you had the dance crews, you had the DJ crews, you had all kinds of crews coming together all at one spot. And that's where they hooked up. That's where they linked. That's where they networked. That's where business got done. That's where whatever, everything happened. And then once the thing happened, you know, like once the club was done, then the fighting started or, you know, like whatever the races happened and things like that. Everything happened after the club. Mm-hmm. At, at that time, if, if you were like starting your own party and you you know, you had your own night at a club or whatnot, did you have to okay it with certain gangs or certain people? Or like, was it just kind of like a common thing? Like, nah, we just want to hang out. This is all love and shit like that. Or did you have to get protection or did you have to get an okay? I mean, we were cool, like us as the party crew and especially us as DJs, we were always kind of neutral. And um, no, to answer your question, no, we didn't We didn't go and ask permission or we didn't go and get someone to have our back or anything like that. It was just kind of like, like, again, as I talk to friends that are that used to be gangsters that are not gangsters now, they tell me that, yo, man, I mean, we always enjoyed your parties because that's where we would get at the ladies. But after the parties, that's where we go and get our fight on and things like that. With the other <laughs> so, yeah, they, they it was kind of like a respect thing. Like our clubs did not have too many fights. I mean, like for source out of the four or five years that we had it going on, I could count like maybe three nights total that we had any kind of brawl wow. or any kind of big fight in the, in the spot. Usually it'd be a couple girls fighting or, you know, something that just gets broken up quick. But. But as far as a big brawl, I, I could count two, three times, really. That was it. Even in, in our legend, legend entertainment history of doing clubs for 15 years, man, like very few fights that happen in the spot. But it always happened after. As we're talking about, you know, your party, the source, unity, rock the bells. And, and we keep as we keep going through, what happened during that EDM electronic music house era 
that invaded in like the late 2000s, early 2010s. So yeah, I think I think when uh, EDM really came in strong in that late 2000s yeah. and just took over, I think that was that was kind of like the death of like a lot of these dope hip hop places, man. Right, like, right. Um, when that wave of EDM kind of took over, it took over Vegas, it took over Hollywood, mm-hmm. it took over just the whole nation period, you know? And so all these clubs and and these scenes that I'm talking about and everything, it just kind of died off, man. And it was, there was a good lull for like four or five years of, of nothing really popping, man. Was was there a distinct like moment, like a year or uh, like maybe like what year was it where you just kind of really saw, Oh shit, this something's going on with the music scene right now where you saw it shift. I mean, I I saw that shift like maybe around 09, mm-hmm. 08, 09, 2010, definitely on. It yeah. just it just took over, you know. What was, um, what, was the, what What did you see? What how did it affect you? I, I'm just curious to, to know because you literally saw almost two decades of hip hop, right? And, and you were doing nightlife, and you were doing clubs, you were doing rock the bells, you were doing all of this, and then to see this this shift and be like what the f- what the fuck's going on like and then obviously it affect it had to affect you know obviously like your your financial situation just because of like you know everyone's making money off of hip hop and then all of a sudden there's a shift in the culture right and i know a lot of hip hop dj's at the time and i guess you want to call them quote unquote open format dj's and which is pretty much all of us and we we definitely got well, ahead. We all we all got ahead like damn, we got to like adapt and shit, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so what was crazy was okay, it was kind of like I I see like things that that kind of converged at the same time. We mm-hmm. we had that great we had that great recession. Right. So that that, yeah, that yeah. messed up the economy, that that people lost jobs, all of that stuff, right? We saw technology change, so we we saw a techni- technological shift where uh Serato came in and then just overtook and so, um, so it just made it easy for people to get music, people to get libraries. It just made it easy for people to become DJs, period. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, man, I think with all this shift, yeah, like, and then the music shift, the, the whole music shift, period, to just more electronic music, man, it, it forced all of us to just change our game, change, change up, man. So we yeah. were all more open format. But man, when the David Guetta's and everybody took over the the club scenes, especially in in Vegas and all of that, man, um, yeah, it forced everybody to kind of level up and and become more open format DJs. And you had to be open format, or or else you weren't you weren't gigging in any any of these spots. Yeah, I, I I bring this up because you know with the recent pandemic and everything that's going on, uh. You know, like Neva and I, we, we talk sometimes and, you know, Neva's been in the game a lot longer than I have. I've maybe been DJing since like for maybe 20 plus years, a little bit professionally, yeah. like in clubs and stuff. Neva, you probably got like 25 plus or something more. Like 20, yeah, something like that. 25. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And we were just kind of looking through each era, you know, and when you, when you kind of take a step back and you look through it, you like DJs, we have to adapt every five five years or so. And then every yeah. every ten years, there's some type of revolution that affects the whole industry. You know what I'm right. saying? So like in the '90s, there was vinyl, and then there was like mixtapes, and then all of a sudden, boom, the digital age. Serato yeah. invades the next decade, right? And then everything just kind of changes, and then boom, 2010s, social media, right? And then mm-hmm. now we're seeing a live stream element, boom, 
another shift in the culture. Yep. So it's funny, like with with the experiences that we've had, we're able to kind of spot like, oh, this is going to be a thing and this isn't going anywhere. This is going to affect the industry and we have to adapt and learn this shit, you know, because we've right. seen so many changes in the past and then uh you know i look at you and you've been in this a, a long time like you know you're a fucking legend in your, in your own city and beyond and and you just really being um comfortable adapting to streaming and hopping on it you know what i mean not not really like hesitating you're like fuck it let's go let's do this and you know, and man, and dude, I really it wasn't comfortable though. It wasn't comfortable at all. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's comfortable, man. Like, but it was in, it was it was very inspiring to me, and I loved seeing it because I was like, yeah, like yeah, motherfucker, like you, like yeah, dude, like the hustle is in him. And I saw him. This is a, this is a DJ who has lived through a lot of changes and knows this is one of those changes that I'm gonna. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's something. But it's affecting the industry and it's affecting the world. And you know. I'm going to adapt. And I, and I, and I noticed that. And I kind of wanted to ask you, was that your thinking? And when you look back, do you see kind of, you know, you know, the, the culture and the shifts and how it affects our industry and, and our craft and whatnot? I think you broke it down way more <laughs> philosophical than I did. <laughs> the words out of his mouth. Pause. No, man. I mean, like, um, yeah, like this this whole live streaming thing. I, I mean, I, I didn't look at it like, oh, I got to shift or die or anything like that. Man. Right. My, my whole thing was, sh man, I was stuck here at home. And then, um, you know, I, I'm a social person, man. I, I love to be out when I'm not gigging. I love to go and watch other DJs, man. Yeah, yeah. And if I'm not watching another DJ, I'm at a bar or something hanging out with some homies, listening to music or live music or live performance, anything, man. But um being stuck at home, I couldn't do nothing, man. Mm -hmm. So what what did we do, man? We 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 saw that like um you can live stream off of your phone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we would just set up our phone and then just DJ for the people on social media. It was as simple as that, man. We mm -hmm. were just just playing because we wanted to we wanted to play. It right. was I, we weren't even thinking about like, oh, this is the next technological shift or this is a phase we got to do. Yeah. It's like, yo, we we want to play. And then at that time when we were all like hard lockdown, we couldn't leave the house. We're like we're trying to be there for each other. We wanted to be there for our peoples, mm -hmm. you know, like with Snapback, that was a, a whole community, a whole crowd. We wanted to be there for them. And so we're just playing for our peoples. Yeah. We just play music on a daily. And then we saw people like D-Nice take it to a whole nother level. Yeah. And we're like, okay, he's doing it. We could definitely do it for our peoples. And then so we were doing it on a daily basis and things like that. But yeah, it wasn't like we weren't thinking philosophical or thinking like, oh, man, this is the shift or anything mm -hmm. like that. It was just like. Shit, we're in this pandemic. We can't get out the house. We can't do nothing. We want to play, so we wanted to play for our peoples, and we did. That's 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 how it all started, really. Yeah, yeah. But getting on to Twitch, that was a whole nother beast and whole nother animal, man. That shit right. was hard. That was <laughs> that was not easy at all, man. It kind of it kind of reminded me when like when I first started learning to DJ and having to learn like about amps and speakers and mixers and like the ground cables. Like you're just kind of like learning about the, the technical aspects of it all from the jump. And you're like, Oh, okay. Like, okay. Streams, uh, 720, you know, like Wi-Fi, <laughs> landline, I got to shift this overlays, you know, 
It's like yeah. you're kind of relearning yeah. a whole a whole thing, you know, from from literally sound systems to like a live stream setup. It, it was crazy because, um, I mean, we're DJs. We 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 just you know we love to just express ourselves with music. This whole technical stuff. I mean, there's a lot of DJs that are technical, but I wasn't one of them, man. <laughs> so. I mean, my technical homie, Gene, I would always hit him up like every day, like, yo, come over to my house, uh, you know, hook this up for me. Oh, I'm having problems with this. Can you help me fix it? I, so, I did that with Jamie. You got to fix this, man. <laughs> yo, my sound is delayed. Yo, why yeah, is this here? <laughs> yeah, man, that, that, was, that was a pain in the ass, man, trying to figure all of that out man but once you learn it and once it's working and you got it set then it's fun man right mm -hmm. live streaming is fun but yeah. the whole learning and and the whole adapting and and getting onto it that that was that was a challenge it's mm -hmm. it's such a godsend because honestly if there wasn't a live stream imagine i don't know what these djs you know would have done it, you know that yeah. and what you guys built together like all the djs that built the community it's kind of insane and when i when i look back i always like to just you know, I have a bad habit of overanalyzing shit. So I always, you know, excuse me, because I'm always looking like a little bit into the future. Like, I'm always looking like, how are we going to look at this five years or 10 years later? You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. But that's why I was bringing up live stream. But it, it really is just a godsend. And it really got a lot of DJs through a horrific yeah. year. And, you know, obviously a lot of their viewers and a lot of their following, it, it got them through a horrific year. And, and yeah. with you looking back on it, I mean, I'm sure you've been streaming like maybe six to eight months, right? Steadily yeah. around there. When you look back on it a little bit now, like how do, how do you look at it? Do you think this is going to last? Do you think you even when stuff opens up, are you going to continue snapback on, on Twitch? To answer your first question, yeah, man, I, I think this is here to stay. I think it's definitely something right. that will still be here when everything opens up in real life. But yeah, man, this this whole streaming thing, it's a trip. When when I, I I've had conversations with E Man, and you know E Man runs radio here in Los Angeles. Yeah, he, he runs three three of the big stations here. And he when just yeah, and he just hopped on Twitch recently too, right? Like he, he just yeah. he just jumped on because of his busyness, man. Yeah. Like he he's like a chicken without you know running with his head <laughs> off, man. Because he's he's working with so little with radio right now, yeah. you know. Yeah, just to share some insight, man. Like. I mean, his his words personally, he was like, man, mix show is straight up Twitch, man. Twitch is mix show now. Radio is not where mix show's at. <laughs> mix show is on Twitch. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is coming from a guy that runs three of the biggest stations here in Los Angeles, man. Um, you know, radio's still going to be radio. People will still tune in as they're driving, but man you you always had to wait till the five o'clock drive or for the weekends to hear a dj mix on the air yeah right now with twitch we have this app and we have this technology it's like our very first 24-hour dj station that's yeah. what we have right now in our hands man that's what twitch has become like it's a gamer platform first and foremost but it's become a 24-hour dj station yeah it's where djs can see djs it's like a 24 it's a sprinkle of MTV in there too, and like a sprinkle of like public access a little bit, right? Just like that, that community yeah, yeah. feel. Yeah, I mean, now you're seeing some people, you know, get creative and do their podcasts on, on uh, Twitch, and then you've got like game shows and late night shows and whatever shows. Everyone's forming their own type of things, but I think it's an it's an outlet. It's definitely an outlet for for DJs. So yeah, I think 
when everything opens up in real life, Twitch is definitely, you know, live streaming period, no matter what the platform is. I think live streaming period is going to be here to stay. Let's talk about Snapback a little bit more right now, because I want to talk about shifting Snapback to Twitch, but Snapback as a party, Snapback Live as a party that you started. You maybe kind of break it down for us right now. So a quick breakdown, like, you know, like when you're talking about that shift around the 2010 era yeah, and everything going digital, everything going EDM, EDM conquering all the clubs. So us as Snapback, our guys that originally started the night, we, we all ha- had this idea of like doing a nightclub where let's bring back the old essence of what we used to, what we grew up on, all the clubs that we used to do back in the day. Let's bring back that type of, that vibe, that feel, that house party feel. And so we, we found a little grimy spot in Glendale and we were doing our, our little clubs out of a, out of a outdoor patio type of spot. And then we moved it into North Hollywood into one of those dance studio type places and then um, the dance community um, got got real big with it. And then they op- that same spot opened up in, in Long Beach. And that's where myself, Remark, we all came along and uh, we did the Long Beach snapback. And then us as snapback as a whole, again, our whole thing was just doing a house party vibe in a club and playing all the 90s hip hop, R&B, reggae, funk, soul, breaks, all of that. Man, that was that's all what we wanted to bring back to clubs when EDM was running running that era. Right. And right. so yeah, Snapback's been going on almost 10 years now. That's crazy. And um wow. and so we were doing physical events up until this pandemic. And then so with the pandemic, we've taken that same crowd that we've been catering to and then they followed us onto onto Twitch, and now we do Snapback every day, twelve noon at lunchtime. We have a guest DJ every single day. You had Jamie the Great actually spun that, right? Spun that party. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we did uh, we did the Long Beach. Uh, what was it? At the, it's called the Bank or the Vault. I forget what it was. It, yeah, it was Federal Bar and um, Federal Bar. Actually, sorry. a Bank Vault. That's that's yeah. What we were inside a Bank Vault DJing for a crowd. It was pretty nuts. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun times. <laughs> and then shout out. I forget his name. The MC that was there with us. Oh, uh, my man Taquan. Yeah, Taquan. Dude, dude's a great MC. He like he knew how to control the crowd. You don't have to get on the mic at all. He just play the music and he hyped you up. But it was it was dope vibes. It's really yeah. really dope. You could play anything you want. Like yeah. that just got the dance floor moving. There was like no segregation. Of like the crowd being like, oh, I don't like this. It's too new. To it was just music lovers, and you play whatever, and they'll vibe out. Yeah, I think uh, what what made it more unique also was that it was like a party vibe. So it was girls and guys dancing, not just all everybody faced at the stage watching the DJ. Nothing right. like that. It was it was a party vibe. House and party. It was- and it was so cool because I did both the one here in uh, North Hollywood and the one in Long Beach. The North Hollywood, you kind of have to do this kind of like you got serve mentality set because it's just dance crews going in there and they're like dancing each They're dancing like a dance off. So you have to kind of play like those more up-tempo records opposed to the one in Long Beach. You get like, you know, you can play whatever you want. Like I think I play Sade Smooth Operator at the one in Long Beach and over here I play Pump It Up because the vibe is just two different pretty yeah, much the way, two different the way I like to, yeah the way I like to break it down is like uh, North Hollywood was kind of like a younger dance community crowd and so um, I like to say that crowd they they dance to the music right and then with Long Beach it's an older vibe older crowd and so I'm like 
all the people over there, they like to sing along with the songs and they like to dance and grind and all of that to the songs. And that crowd kind of grew up with the music. So one crowd danced to the music, one crowd grew up to the music. Did you guys have that party in Vegas also? We do have that party in Vegas. Uh, my man Beastang r- runs it right now. It's at... Um, Commonwealth. 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 Yeah. That's it. Commonwealth. And then you started that party basically in an era where, you know, EDM had taken over, right? My guys uh, started Stubbs, Beastang, and Everready. They're the ones that started in, in Glendale, North mm-hmm. Hollywood. And then they brought me in when they opened up Long Beach. And then one, once we opened up Long Beach, that's when... You know, I used my my relationships and connections to bring in Talib Kweli to DJ or or, you know, we have dress from Black Sheep coming in for a night, you know, things like that. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it was just a big party vibe. And then again, the whole essence of hip hop in a party, old school house party vibe, you know, is it is it more diverse or is it uh, again like an Asian following that 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 kind of goes with you to Long Beach? I mean, like. Asians were pretty much our base crowd. Yeah, yeah. But in both locations, it was a very good mix, man. It was it was, a, it was a, a real good mix of everybody. And Jamie could tell you that, man. It is a good mix yeah. of everybody. But our our base of people that that we uh we would bring out on a weekly was always Asian. As as an Asian DJ in LA, was it hard to to get gigs and is that why it, like you ha- you guys had to start your own parties? It was like impossible to to get into any of the clubs, right? Yeah, yeah. In the well, when I started out way back in the 90s, right. yeah, we, it was impossible to get into Hollywood clubs as an Asian DJ. I can imagine. It just wasn't happening, man. So yeah. we, had to, we had to throw our own parties to, to, to do that. And then, and then that's where I think it was kind of, it was very memorable for like all the DJs that are legendary now because we were like one of their first gigs. Mm-hmm. For E-Man, we were his, we were, was his first uh, club gig. For Mello, for Vice, a lot of those guys, they, they got their start doing our, uh, you know, source clubs and legend clubs way back in the day. Never, never, I, never, I was thinking about New York and shit, and I was like, were there any Asian DJs that were kind of taken over or like that did anything in the clubs? There like, was a few. Um, oh, man. There was Kaori, that female DJ. She's mm-hmm. do like a lot of the hip-hop parties. Yeah. Oh man, there's another DJ. I can't think of his name. He used to do like a lot of Bill Spector parties back in the days. He was like oh, killing it. I, I can't think of his name. Right was he now, from Japan or no? He he was from Japan, yeah, yeah. but moved to New York. DJ yeah. Hero. DJ Hero, that was him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember them. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about it myself because in the two thousands I didn't I was like, damn, there's really no Asian DJs. I felt like yeah, by the two thousands it was like there wasn't really too many Asian DJs. Right. Cause I was I was I was thinking about Ice. And I was like, geez, like, who were the Asian DJs? Did I look up to any? Because I'm sure you must be inspiring a whole bunch of younger generation DJs that came up, right? Uh, he's not a t- he's not a t- <laughs> on horn, but yeah, he is. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, you are. But I was just thinking, like, I was trying to think, like, the, like in the '90s and 2000s when I was coming, I was like, there was like, I, it was. I guess I didn't even think about it at the time, but you know, here in LA, I feel like there was really. Uh, a sense of identity for you know being a, a Filipino American. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, As yeah. A- well, I think I think in in those early in those early years, it was it was way more significant because we we weren't getting any love. You, it wasn't common to see DJs, you know, Asian Filipino DJs in these big clubs, and you know, unless we're throwing our own nights, you know. So yeah, yeah. So it was a big deal for us to get on radio. It was a big deal to, you know 
put it, put together our own movie or put together our own TV show or anything like that, man. It, it was all a sense of community. Nowadays, it's very common to see a Bruno Mars or, you know, you see whoever doing their thing. It's very common to see people dancing on TV and things like that. But way back then, man, it, it wasn't. And mm-hmm. so I think that that's where that sense of community and it was way more significant if, some, if somebody made it. But nowadays, it's too common now. You know, it's crazy. Uh, when I was like a kid listening to the radio, the big to me, the biggest DJ at the time was E-Man. And he was mm-hmm. Filipino. Yeah. There was no real uh, Mexicans DJ in the radio outside of probably Melo D, but even Vice. Yeah, but I didn't Vice. even knew Vice. I didn't even know Vice was Mexican because he didn't speak Spanish. <laughs> so it was kind of hard to tell. I thought Vice was Filipino, too. So it was it was he difficult. Practically is Filipino because yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, around Filipinos and his wife is Filipino and yeah. all of that, man. Yeah, and he's from Eagle Rock, and Eagle Rock has a lot of Filipinos. So you would think Filipinos he there, was man. Mexican, and I don't know he was Mexican, but to me, Eman was the biggest DJ at the time, and he was Filipino, and then there was Mr. Chuck, but it's hey. stuff like that. Like you don't, there was Not no much, much love to the Baker Boys. Much love. They were Mexican. They were yeah, but that was Mexicans. that was towards <laughs> later, like earlier than my time. My time was like. Early, uh, late 90s early 2000s okay. yeah, 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 and yeah. at that time E-Man was the biggest fucking DJ in LA right right yeah he, so, he did morning show he did big, big boy all of that man yeah yeah. I, I was wondering I was curious because I've been having conversations with homies and shit and I thought you'd be the perfect person to ask about this how do you okay. feel about you know all of the recent you know escalation in crimes towards Asians Man, Asian hate has been going on decades, centuries, you know, like when the Chinese first came here working on the railroads and all of that, man. And then all the way, man, you know, like that's where derogatory terms like chink or flip or whatever, man, like all of that mm-hmm. stuff was was going on for centuries, man. But but yeah, man, um, I wish I wish they would pick on someone that was a kung fu master and kick their asses man <laughs> see them going up to manny pacquiao bro <laughs> i wish they would get like some kind of um sifu or master you know a kung fu and kick their ass and get that in the news man a black belt i wish a motherfucker would that's a perfect uh, that's a perfect segue to manny pacquiao you actually yeah. DJ, you actually <laughs> dj a bunch of his after parties right man yeah i mean manny manny was at the height you know, like at the height of his career on the, you know, on the rise. Shit, man. I, I used to DJ all of his after parties in Vegas, man. And uh, in fact, one of the most recent ones I did was on the record with, with Eddie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah. There, just uh, a year and a half ago. Yeah, we were supposed to schedule something on that podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. it was around yeah. that time. Yeah. Right. Was that when he was that the last time he fought uh, when he fought Broner? Adrian yeah, Broner? that's when he yeah. fought yeah. Broner, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, that was January of 2019. Yeah, yeah, that's when we were trying to schedule. We've been trying to get ICIs for quite some time. Yeah, we've been trying to get but, you on for a minute. How did you link up with Pacquiao? Uh, mutual friends, man. It was all mutual friends, and and then um, you know, like all the promoters and everybody, every party crew from across the U.S. would link up and do these parties and stuff. But yeah, I was I was always like uh, one of the the DJs that was always uh, on those lineups. Wow. I, I was always on all of those lineups, man. I don't think I've missed one, but I, I think when he became more of a born again, Christian and he stopped doing those parties, mm. then um, mm-hmm. that's, that's where it stopped. But that, um, that, that one at on the record was the, the very last one I did. Yeah. Did many pack you have like a go-to list that you had to play? Cause he wanted to sing on the microphone. Cause he's a singer. <laughs> that boy does it all. 
Nah, he would just make, he would just show up, hang out, you know, his, his, his entourage would be, um, you know, like they would be drinking and partying and all of that, but yeah, he would just show up real quick and then, and then dip out, man. But then, you know, uh, all his trainers, Freddie Roach, he'd be hanging out. Um, some of those, those early parties, like in the early two thousands, man, like everyone from Wu Tang to, to the, the black eyed peas to just actors actresses everybody was always in those those parties man it was it was wild yo you 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 did all like the the summer jams and all the radio kind of like summer concerts right because i I was yeah i was looking through like your instagram you have like pictures with snoop dogg with missy elliott timberland you have pictures with all of these all these yeah incredible artists i I posted one with d'angelo yeah (laughs) d'angelo yeah i saw that recently and you look young as fuck like you look you look like you was like you was hey i'm still i'm still young as fuck (laughs) like it was last week (laughs) i was like it was was last week no but you you look like 12 now you look like 12 years old in the picture junior high school (laughs) (laughs) you look like a college kid yeah he looked like he skipped school like and went to and, and was djing that shit like yeah, you know, that must have been an incredible time. I was so jealous, like looking at some of these pictures. Yeah, there was one with uh, Tribe Called Quest, and I was like, oh my god! And it was like Ali Shahid Muhammad, Fife, rest in peace, yeah. Q-Tip. Mm-hmm. I was just like, what? That's like incredible, man. Good. I was, I was I was fortunate to be in LA radio at the time when just hip hop was dope, and like I'm saying, commercial hip hop was dope underground hip-hop was dope all of it was dope man and a lot of those artists stood the test of time and you also toured uh you was also karis one tour dj at one point right i was yeah yeah um when karis was living here in los angeles i didn't um, know that wow i was i was the dj for his temple of hip-hop radio show on 92.3 the beat and then i toured i toured with him damn i didn't i even know karis lived in l.a yeah, I didn't know that either. Me neither. He, uh, <laughs> he left the Bronx. Oh, <laughs> fucking traitor. <laughs> uh, our our little secret, you know, just between us. Now I'm kind of and, and, and all the podcasters that's listening. Yeah, man, Harris One has has a house in Atlanta. He has a place here in L.A. And I, I think oh, he bounces man. between the two. Anytime I do run into him at a show, it's all love. God, of man. course, I could imagine. I can't yeah. even imagine. Yo, he's an insane performer, yo. Like. DJing for him must have been, must have been crazy, yo. I was DJing for him in that late '90s, man, oh. and um, yeah, his son was still real young. We do, we I jump in those uh, tour vans and and tour with his uh, his dance. It was just me, his dancers, his his wife, his son, and his his manager. That was it, man. And then we'd hit city to city, and but yeah, it was dope because KRS was already legendary from the '80s. And in the '90s, I, I felt like that was like his his height because that that oh, was yeah, definitely man. I, I, he still performs to this day, and he still got the same energy, man. Like mm-hmm. there's very few p- performers like Karis One. I, I would say like a Busta Rhymes is the only one that maybe matches or even exceeds. I totally agree with you on that. Level on yeah. stage, but yeah, man. I mean, Karis off the dome. Just every man. time I saw Karis One in concert, he would just rip it up. Rip Insane. it, and then he's political, but he's also entertaining, and he's a b boy, and he, yeah. he just loves hip hop culture, and he just exudes all of that, man. It was, mm-hmm. it was. We had him at um, we used to do an old school hip hop party at Lavo in Las Vegas, and uh-huh. he was by far the, the best performer out of all the performers we had. We had like Das Effects, we had everyone there, Quests, we had Run from Run D, we had everyone, and Karis 
blew it out the fucking water and like yeah. they invited him over again like i think he's one of the few that would that did shows like three to four times and each one was different it was just like different every time man it yo was, the first time i saw uh karis one perform was like in 1990 in his gym and he had the crowd rocking so hard that the gym floor was moving i thought the floor was gonna fucking drop because everybody <laughs> was just so hyped jumping up and it yeah. was like scary i was just like oh shit man this shit gonna fucking fall to the ground one thing that I noticed when when I was DJing with KRS was we would hit a lot of college college towns, man. Mm-hmm. Like college shows were just it was insane, man. Mm-hmm. Like those shows were just whole just a thousand white kids just going crazy, up, up and down, yeah, crazy, man. And so yeah, the the energy. I I don't think there's too many performers besides maybe Busta that that can match his energy and and his his stage presence and and uh, you know his show value. Yeah. Uh, what do you call it? it what do you, in in all of your experience, in all of your in your, you know, literally in your whole career, right? Who, what is some of the best performers that you've seen? And you've you've seen a lot. I don't know because I'm I'm a fan of a lot of groups also. Right. So well, like give when, me give me your top three. Can you do a top three maybe? Yeah, I would say KRS, Busta, Busta, and for me, Tribe. Like you know, I'm like mm. such a huge fan of Tribe. That's I love Ayla. Um, I mean, like. Can I share some uh, pictures of like some some old school groups? I, I pulled them up because yeah, I know yeah. this is a visual platform. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, man. I mean, here's here's me and E Man with Tribe. Yeah, that's that quest picture I saw. Oh man. wow! Damn. Uh, this is me and E Man with Tamia right here. Oh shit, Tamia! Hey. Oh my god! <laughs> I love Tamia. Here's, here's here's a party of like us at at our legend clubs back back in the day. So oh, this is shit. a crowd a crowd shot. Is that is that like wow. is that all Asian people? That's the majority <laughs> Asian people. <laughs> yeah, cooking seats like all my right people. Here. More Asian Asian folks right here. All my peoples. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, I don't see no brothers in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Quincy! Wow, oh, man. wow. Is that that's Tamia too, right? Yeah, that's Tamia. Um, let me see. Let me let me pull. Here's the homie right here. Tyson, oh, Tyson. Man. Yeah, yeah. prime baby. Damn. <laughs> um. Oh wow. Guru. Guru. God damn. Oh shit. Damn, that's crazy. Ice, you look oh, like fuck. eleven years old in all these pictures that you showed me. Man. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I'm real young in these pictures, man. Another Quincy. Quincy. Wow. He looked like a clean. Uh-huh. He looked like a clean shaven Maz Medina. Like you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, here's, here's our whole crew, like the whole junkies. Oh, I've seen wow. that picture before. Um, that's at the many a best friend, <laughs> like a lot of the J five and, uh, Raz Kaz and oh, you know, those guys. Um, I was, then, oh. you know, then you got like people like faith. Oh, faith damn. Um, I don't know. Just that look, that looked like Miles Medina. And if he went to the army, no, I wasn't going to say that on the low. <laughs> Mac 10. Mac 10. DJ Quick. Oh, wow. Yes, yeah, some old, you know, just, just some uh, some stuff. I got I got stacks, man. Look at the stacks. You know, I, I give you props, Ice, because your, your top three performers are from the East Coast. They're from New York. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't no West Coast, guys. <laughs> I like here's that. A, here's, a, here's a crew when they were 15. Oh Woo! shit! Destiny oh, man. Yeah, That's Beyonce man. right next to me. 
Damn. Yeah, that's Beyonce next to him. You had to point that one out. <laughs> how, yo, how, how different is it, like, when you look back, right, how different is it? You, you've been doing the clubs. You've been doing the, the clubs till now, up, I mean, but pre-pandemic. How different has it been to you? Like, the big, what's the biggest change to you? Not much has changed because I think my style of DJing, and then I do have, you know, Jamie, Jamie talked about my MC, Taquan. Yeah. Like, our vibe, our energy is always the same the way we DJ, no matter if it's an open format club, a corporate gig, or mm-hmm. a regular house party type of vibe, you know? Our, our whole thing is always the same, man. So um, we could get a crowd of like 50 people to still sound like they were a thousand people, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, I mean, that that's, that's just the way we DJ. It's always still the same hip hop vibe. And then, you know, like call and response, MC, DJ, all of that, man. I would say this whole Twitch thing is different because there's no call and response. There's no energy coming back unless you've seen that that chat room fly that's that's the only way i feel like i have any kind of cr- crowd response but <laughs> but uh yeah man i mean as far as over the years you know like from all those clubs and all those eras i'm talking about man it, it's always the same type of vibe same same type of energy the same type of music and and um you know everything so yeah hasn't really changed it's still the same all the way through crazy it's in the end we always have to hip-hop to thank you know what i'm saying like i i never thought i'd be the age that i am right now djing still and and being surrounded by other djs older than i am still thriving and doing amazing you know so i always think we got to thank hip-hop for that man because you 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 can relate because you got an asian dad man so you know i I got a filipino asian dad and uh you know uh, he always thought I would. Uh, this was just a phase for me, yeah, and he, you know, like he always thought that uh, I'd eventually get into some kind of job. But yeah. man, here I am, like you, still at this age, DJing, man. And it's crazy, right? You know, for my kids, right? You hear my little kids in the back. They're running your muck back there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I didn't have a dad. I didn't have a dad, but my mom was definitely. Oh my bad. No, no, it's all good. She was definitely like, you know, when are you gonna get a real job? Like, when are you gonna get your shit together? And then I started paying her rent, and then she was like, "Okay, like, you know, I'm okay, not- <laughs> I guess this little thing is working out." You know, that's how that's how Asian parents start to respect whatever you do. Like, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, oh, it's not just Asian. It's not just Asian because my family was the, the same, same way. Was okay, like, <laughs> you, you quit your city job to DJ? Are yeah, you crazy. You got no benefit. That's no benefit. That's, that's the thing too. That benefits. <laughs> benefits. What you gonna do now? But now it's like, all right, you make a living off of it. That's the that's the, that's the one obstacle us DJs we got to conquer is the health benefits. We've got to find yeah, a way, exactly, right? Man. We've got to find a way. We got to figure gotta it out. Figure that out, though. Ice, yeah. come on! You got the beat junkies. Yeah, y'all got like the biggest <laughs> platform. Come on, like, yeah, man. I get yeah. some like beat junkies health health plan. I'll, I'll put health into that plan. shit. I'll sign up right away. <laughs> Me too. Y'all are logistically <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah, how can we get a beat junkies health plan out there? I'm serious, man. Like you guys, <laughs> you have the outreach to do that, though. I feel like you guys could do that. You know what I'm saying? Like just a, yeah. I'd be like, wait, who's covering you? Like Blue Cross? Nah, Beat Junkie. I got, <laughs> <laughs> I got the Beat Junkies, the world famous Beat Junkies car. It's the next. That's the next venture. So I, I, <laughs> they got the school on lock. Now it's the fucking. They, uh, they, they got, got everything. Care. They got the record pool, school, stream, <laughs> dental, satellite, satellite radio, satellite radio. 
You guys are going to do, it's going to be what, 30 years? Or wh- what's it going to be? And next year is going to be. Next year's 30 years. Next year's going to be 30 years. Wow. 92. Beat Junkies, 30 year anniversary. Great. Can we? That's crazy. Can man. I put this That's out crazy. there? Can we? Can we have all of you guys on the road podcast for your thirty year anniversary? Yeah. Just all of you guys. I don't know if we'll we'll fit all on this screen. No, 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 we'll, no. Go, we'll, we'll go. We'll go to this location. We'll go out to LA. To the store. We'll go to LA. School. We'll go to LA, so. and you guys can announce your health plan to everybody on your thirty year anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you call it? We could definitely make that happen, though, man. We could, we could yeah. make that happen. That'll be I think it's such an accomplishment, man. Yeah, yeah. Put it in a group chat. Yeah. I see. I'd be like, yo, I kind of promised this for the next year, guys. <laughs> real, real quick, because I love entrepreneurship, and I, and I'm always been curious about this. You had three yeah. record stores, right? Mm-hmm. That must have been like uh, three locations to juggle. Was that like, was that the biggest pain in the ass that you've ever had, or did you love did you love having those record stores? I loved having the record store, man. It, yeah. it, it was it was dope, man. But yeah, I'm I'm like you. I'm very entrepreneurial. Yes. I, I love yeah. I love to you know like back when I was on tour with KRS One, and this is where it all started. Was I mean my my dad was always like on me about you know like being entrepreneurial since I I didn't go the corporate route. But anyways, um, when I was touring for KRS One, one of the books I was reading on on the road was Rich Dad Poor Dad, mm, Robert yeah, yeah, and so after I read that, I'm like, damn, I don't have the money to get into real estate, but, you know, I could scrape together some money and, and open up a store. And that's, that's what I did. Uh, I, I got a little loan from, you know, family and, and was able to kick up, you know, kick open a store. But yeah, man, I was working at radio at the time. So I would get free promos from the, the record companies and things like that. And resell them at my store <laughs> <laughs> allegedly allegedly wow yeah, hey man <laughs> you were like that hey, you're, they, you're, these these uh record labels man they, they had boxes and boxes of vinyl they didn't care man you're like that they nike vp that just got fired <laughs> i i would get at the stock but i'm like yo hey man save me a box man or slide me a box and i and i pay them off a little bit and then go and sell it at the store damn Amazing. You know, the reseller. The only reason why he can tell this story now is because he's... Statue of Limitations is done. <laughs> so then your first record store did so well, you opened two more, basically? Yeah, man. So I, I, I was... Um, I... I wasn't a very good businessman, but I was a good promoter, man. Yeah, yeah. And so I got people through that door. I made sales. Um, I wish I had, I had, you know, like I, I wish I had a better team of people with me, you know, like I didn't have a good accountant at the time. I, mm-hmm. I didn't have people watching the books and all of that. So, so yeah, I opened up stores. Um, I ran the stores and um, I kept business going. We, we had a good eight year run of doing these stores. Yeah. It was my vision to be like the, the next, you know, Fat Beats or the next Tower Records or Warehouse Records, whatever, you know, like it, you know, that was my vision of, of, mm-hmm. of being something like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, vinyl died in, in 2008. Yeah. Yeah. Serato took over. Vinyl sales died until just recently where, you know, vinyl sales are coming back again. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, man, um, it was it was tough. It was tough closing down those stores. It was tough. Right. Firing everybody. It was tough paying back those loans. Um, you know, entrepreneurial entrepreneurship is no joke. Yeah. If uh, if you lose, 
But it's like the lessons you learn from it are so invaluable, right? Like when you very when you, invaluable, man. It's so like, I mean, I like to tell people I, I got a master's degree in business because I didn't just go to school for it. I, I lived it, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then in the store, I was the accountant. I was the the marketer. I was HR. I was <laughs> I was running all the different departments. And then I still had to keep all my 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 employees, my 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 crew motivated. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, pushing sales, coming up with creative programs to to uh, sell things, you know, whatever. We have an in-store, uh, you know, like we treated it like a, a we treated it like a, a meet and greet, man, like mm-hmm. a record meet and greet. So whatever Gangstar comes to my store, which they did, we would interview them and uh, and then we would we would um, have them sign autograph and, um, you know, meet meet and greet with uh, a lot of the people that were there. That's so dope. Yeah. dope That's amazing, man. man. You know? Something like D styles, my, my beach junkie crew, like uh, he had his phantasmagoria um, records that he came out with. Um, so we made limited edition t-shirts that we were selling with the purchase of his album. And then, so you buy that and then you get a free t-shirt at his in-store exclusively at stacks. Mm-hmm. And so that drove people in the doors, man. Yeah. So, you know, just, just little things, man, to, to drive people. But yeah, it was fun. It was, it was a fun game to, you know, like make, make people come to the store and then make people yeah. buy. <laughs> it's good. No, I, I definitely see like, you know, I see that, that hustle and that, that marketing and promotional aspect, even now when you're promoting your parties and even with the streams that you're doing. So like, it's, it's one of those things that you, you never, when you're kind of in the middle of it and, and you got to make the business successful and like, you know, like you've got that, that, uh, the pressure's on, you know, and you got to really step it up. You never really lose that. You know, you can switch it on in any kind of hustle and any kind of platform or field that you do. But I, I definitely see that. And, you know, looking at your resume from beginning to now, it's just, it's really, to me, it's inspiring. And you're, and you're still going and you're still grinding and you're still, you know, you're still excelling to me and progressing, you know, and I love it. And, <laughs> You know, I appreciate it, man. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I look at our pioneers that are still even going even yeah. that were way before any of us, man, like mm-hmm. your Jazzy Jeffs yeah. or or even Scratch or any of these guys that are like still right in yeah. their age. They're still killing it. Yeah. I'm like, that's inspiration for me, because if they're doing it, then mm-hmm. we could do it. You know what I mean? And that that goes for any DJ, like doesn't matter the age. It doesn't matter, whatever. But you learn certain skills. And those skills will still carry you through all the way through. So, yeah, I mean, you'll have your DJ skills, but then you got to learn some business aspects, which you guys do as the road podcast. And, you know, you guys got to market your your podcast. You got to get it out there on the platforms. You got to you guys got to have the discipline to record these shows, chop up these shows, put them on all the platforms, promote it, get people to listen to it get your sales, your, your, uh, your sponsors, all that stuff, man. It, it's, it's a grind, man. I'm exhausted it's just fun. listening to you list all that shit already. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm, like, Fuck. I'm like, when he says it like that, gee, why are we doing this? Shit? Yeah. <laughs> why the fuck are we wasting our time? Hey man, because no, it's, true. It, it's a labor of love, man. You guys love what you do. You guys, uh, you guys put together a dope show, man. Thank I've you. been a fan of your podcast and listened to a lot of them and thank yep, you. Man. It's dope. You, man. Appreciate dope it, man. Yeah. I think it's funny what you said about Scratch is like Scratch just recently DJed the D'Angelo versus, right? Yeah. And yeah. Then, 
like on Twitter and in the comments, it's like no one knew who he was. So it's no, like that's crazy, right? I noticed it's like, that also. It's like he was. It's like uh, who is this DJ? Yeah, he's so he's so good. He's amazing. And I'm like, yo, like this. Can you imagine oh. devoting forty plus years in your career and still like and being reintroduced almost Ooh. like a D nice? And I, and it's really amazing to me. And it, it's really it's kind of like. I know it's, it inspires people to keep going because you just never know when you'll just keep like breaking through and expanding your audience. And you know what I mean? Expanding your yeah. outreach. Yeah. You know, what's dope though with, uh, you know, like talking on that, that point that you just made right there, man. Yeah. Yeah. Someone like scratch is brand new to a whole new audience, right? right. They mm-hmm. don't know EPMD. They don't know his history of mm-hmm. scratch you know, TV or his any of battles, yeah, <laughs> his battles, none. Yeah, they don't know battles, any of that, yeah. man. All they know is his first exposure is he was with D'Angelo, and that's dope. That's dope. But that that goes for any of us, man. Like, right. you know, we 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 land a certain club in Vegas or whatever, and next thing you know, you're exposed to a whole new audience that never knew about you. Be, be, but because you're in that hot club, bam, they know you. Or, or like someone that makes it on the radio or someone even like on Twitch, man. I've discovered so many damn DJs on Twitch that I've never heard of in my life. But mm-hmm. it's because we're new to Twitch. We're on this different platform. And you yep. discover people, man. So, And then, yeah, man, you, you got a young audience always coming up. You got people turning 18 every day. Mm-hmm. And so, like, these people are new to the game, new to music, new to DJing, new to anything, man. So they're going to discover you guys. So it, it's 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 a cycle, man. But it's a fun cycle. Yeah, it's dope. And yeah, you expand your your audience that way, man. Just just staying consistent and staying on the grind. So when when do you think we're gonna see the next Snapback live in in in, in, in like in person at an actual venue? <sighs> That's a good question, man. Because here in Cali, we're not opened up yet. Yeah, I know over there in Vegas, you guys are. A third open, maybe? I think we're going to go to 50, 50% capacity in like March 15th. You know, Commonwealth is open. They are doing some snapback parties over there, but it's it's not, there's no dancing. So, I mean, it's it's yeah. no, it's not that vibe. Mm-hmm. It's not that vibe until you get people dancing and partying. And, you know, right yeah. now everyone's sitting at a table <laughs> and uh, you're sitting around eating or drinking. Drinking. That, that's not a, that's not a club. That's not a party, man. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. hopefully, fingers crossed, maybe the end of the year, maybe by fall to 2021, maybe. Hopefully. hopefully. I, I, I don't see it until next year, honestly. Mm. We'll check you on the, on the Twitch TV, right? Is it Twitch TV slash uh, Snapback Live, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Switch, switch, uh, Twitch, <laughs> switch, yeah. twitch.tv slash Snapback Live or my page DJ. slash DJ Ice Ice. Ice Ice. <laughs> Ice, thank you so much for coming through, man. I'm, I'm, we wanted you on uh, the podcast for a long time, and I'm, I'm really glad you got to break down kind of the LA scene in the '90s, uh, moving yeah. into the 2000s, man. It's like I'm, I'm glad I can uh, help fill in those holes, man. Because yeah, I did remember hearing you guys talk about the raves and all of that. I'm like, man, the raves is not it. That's not where it started, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you, Ice. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> oh man. I just didn't. I didn't understand it. I'm like, there's these great hip hop open format DJs, and they're saying that their beginning start was raves, and I'm just like, you're telling me there weren't hip hop parties in la like in clubs and stuff it was just weird well, to me. You know? I, I think because you you guys interviewed a lot more younger guys yeah first you didn't get at 
guys my age or older that yeah. that that actually lived those years, man. So, yeah. I mean, one of the guys you guys got to get like some of these uh, KD mixmasters like Tony G, Julio G, yeah. like those guys will really break down that that whole history and stuff too, man. But but yeah, like uh, you guys need help on on booking any of the the older cats too, man. I, I can help you guys there. Oh, I think dope. that'll be dope. Yeah, that'll be great. Yeah, yeah. For real, I think I think I want to get Mr. Chalk, uh, Mr. Chalk on too. Yeah, Mr. Chalk would be dope. I just Gosh. saw him. I just saw him on Twitch, and you know he's scam artist and stuff like that. But he sounded great on Twitch, and I'm like, man, I got to get this motherfucker on because it's been too long. So if you want to watch this episode on YouTube or view some of our older episodes as well, you can go to youtube.com slash road podcasts, like, comment, subscribe. We post new episodes every Thursday, every Thursday, y'all, without fail. So definitely come check out the new episodes on YouTube on Thursdays. So definitely check that out, twitch.tv slash road podcasts. And um, thank Thanks you. Thanks again for having me, man. Appreciate no it. All right, no, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Peace. guys. Peace. Peace. Peace.